Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Well, good morning. It's uh, again a wonderful privilege to be able to proclaim the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ, especially at a time like this. And we can praise God that even in a time like this, His Word is able to go forth. Um, if you do have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to go through uh, the whole chapter. It's not a very long chapter, but we are going to go through it. Um, so let me read it first. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writes... Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Well, this passage has been quite a difficult passage for me over this past week, uh, trying to figure out the best way to uh, go through this passage, how to present it, what would be the most helpful way, the most meaningful way. And uh, on Friday morning, I came through early just to re redo everything. And uh, so hopefully this, this framework will be the most helpful. So it is, we're going to go through the passage and see seven motivations for giving generously. I'm sure there's more or less, depending on how you break it up. Uh, but I found seven, seven motivations for giving generously. Uh, it has been wonderful yesterday to see the generosity of the members at Heritage Baptist Church uh, in providing for those in desperate need, our brothers and sisters in need in KwaZulu-Natal, uh, to see the, 
the amount of money given, the amount of food given, people coming and sacrificing their Saturdays to help uh, packing and uh, packing onto the truck. Uh, it really was wonderful to, to see that, to see the church excelling in, in generosity. And I have wondered, you know, isn't it a bit of a strange series to be preaching at the moment with everything that's going on? But I think that it is appropriate because there will be many opportunities for us to be, to be generous and to help others. And so here are seven motivations for giving generously. So the first motivation, your giving will result in no one being embarrassed. Your giving will result in no one being embarrassed. So look at verse 1. Paul says, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. So if you weren't here or weren't watching last week or haven't listened to this sermon, just some background. Uh, All the way back in 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 16, Paul talks about setting aside money for the saints in Jerusalem. Uh, There was a great famine at this time, and the saints in Jerusalem were experiencing uh, tremendous difficulty. And so Paul was arranging for the Gentile churches in, in Achaia, where Corinth was the capital, and in Macedonia and Galatia in modern-day Turkey to, to raise funds to send back to Jerusalem to help their brothers and sisters who were uh, experiencing this, this devastating famine. And so that's what he's talking about. So he says, I'm not going to go into more detail because, of course, they were familiar with the, with the situation. But if you weren't familiar now, hopefully you are familiar with the situation. Verse 2, he says, For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. And so, very interesting what Paul does here. Uh, He says, he boasted about the Corinthian church. Achaia is the province that, that Corinth was in. He says, I would go and speak to other churches, and I would boast about the church at Corinth. I would say, you know, over a year ago, they were ready. Uh, they had a desire to, to raise funds. They'd started planning to do this. They were ready to do it. Uh, it, had, it had stirred up the other churches in Macedonia, the northern churches. And in chapter 8, he's, he, he's boasting about the Macedonian churches. So he boasts about the Corinthian church and the Macedonian church. Uh, very interesting what Paul does here. He creates a sort of a healthy competition. Uh, he, he stirs up other churches by the behavior of the Corinthian church or the Macedonian church. Uh, and so in, in the scripture, we do see this. In fact, in Romans, Paul says that we should seek to outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, this is not an aggressive, nasty competition or competitiveness, but a, a zeal. It is an encouraging thing when you see a brother or sister growing in holiness or living in a certain way. Zeal is contagious. Uh, we, we, we need to be brothers and sisters who, who have a zeal for the Lord, who stir one another up, who are examples to one another. And we need churches that are examples to other churches and stir up other churches. But because of what has happened recently in Corinth, with the false apostles coming in and turning many of the the congregants against Paul and his apostolic ministry, Paul is now concerned that while they were ready a year ago and zealous a year ago, things may well have changed. And we noted that it wasn't uh, just uh, chance that after 2 Corinthians 7 about their repentance, Paul then moves on to the issue of giving, their finances, because they are really linked together. Uh, the pocket is so important to us. And one of the, the signs of a repentant heart, of a changed heart, is generosity. But he is not 100% certain yet about how generous they will be and if they are still committed to this. So look at what he says in verse 3. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. You see, he has a slight concern that maybe all his boasting will fall flat so that you may be ready, as I said, you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated or embarrassed to say nothing of you for being so confident. 
And so this first point taken from this passage is that when we don't give as we should, uh, it brings embarrassment to ourselves, to the leaders, and ultimately to the name of Christ. We represent one another, we represent him. I say to my children when they're going to stay at a, at a friend's house, if they're going to um, spend some time there or spend the night there or the weekend or something like that, often on the way there in the car, I will say to them, don't embarrass the Rogers name, uh, whatever the Rogers name may stand for. But I say to them, don't embarrass, embarrass the Rogers name. Uh, and then I say to them, but even more than that, don't embarrass. And then I leave it open for them and they say the Lord's name. They are representing me and Natalie. They are representing our family. And as a family, as we belong to the Lord, as Joshua said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. They are representing the Lord. And so it is with, with us as believers, as members of this church, we representing one another representing the leadership, representing Christ. The Corinthians were representing Paul as their spiritual father, the one who planted the church. And Paul says, if you don't give generously, as you, if you don't keep your word, as you'll see just now, it's going to bring humiliation and embarrassment. And it is a terrible thing to be humiliated, isn't it? When you've had confidence in someone, you're persuaded, you, you go around telling everyone about this person saying, don't worry, this person will not drop the ball. You can trust this person. They won't let you down. And then they let you down. It's a terrible thing. And so the first motivation is give generously so as not to bring embarrassment to one another, to the church, to the leadership, but ultimately to the name of Christ. And so Paul says in verse 5, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So Paul says, I don't want to come sort of as a debt collector, threatening to break some shin pads. Uh, he doesn't want to come and do that. Uh, he wants to come and receive this gift, a willing gift, not an exaction, not force. It must be a willing gift. Notice that they had promised to make this, this donation. They had promised to give this, and I think that's an important thing. Um, we, we make financial commitments all over the place. I'm sure there's, there's the majority of us watching will have debit orders of, of some... Uh, some form or, or another, whether it's for your bond, for your home, for a car payment, for your cell phone account. You have made a pledge, you have made a promise to pay that amount every month. The Corinthians had made a promise, they had made a commitment. And often we need to do something like that to keep us faithful, to make a, co a commitment. And there are churches that do that, they ask for pledges and commitments. Now, of course, things can change financially. We know that things can change overnight. If the last two years haven't taught us that, then I don't know what will. Uh, and, of course, God doesn't expect us to, uh, to commit to promises when we're not able to. But I think the idea of a commitment and a promise of, 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 of taking initiative and making a, a commitment, we know that uh, you know, people who write books on how to lose weight and how to do all of these things, what they say is you need to make a public commitment Commit to a friend, say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk 10,000 steps every day. Because putting it out there puts more pressure on you to actually do it. And that's what's going on with the Corinthians. Paul is saying, you made a promise. Stirring them up to keep their word. Now, it must be a willing gift. Remember, the issue is the heart. But uh, the issue isn't... Well, you don't have to give. Paul, you know, I can't imagine that Paul would ever think that a person doesn't have to give. Uh, the issue is about giving willingly, though. So the first motivation is not to embarrass or humiliate others, and primarily God. The title for this sermon is God and Giving, and you'll see over and over again uh, on, on, on these points, God is the focus. The second point the second motivation for giving 
Your giving will result in a bountiful harvest. Look at verse 6. Paul says the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Okay, so quite a, uh, quite a simple proverb. Uh, of course, if you, if you only sow a few seeds, then you're only going to get a few crops. If you sow many seeds, you're going to get a much larger harvest. So the principle is, is very simple, very straightforward, but very powerful. Uh, we, uh, most of us at Heritage don't have an agrarian background. Uh, we're not used to farming, but uh, I have in my family, extended family, we have farmers or those who have farmed. And uh, common sense will tell you that no farmer sows begrudgingly. Uh, when it comes time to plant, to sow the seed, the farmer doesn't hold back. He doesn't say, no, I want to keep these bags for myself. That would be ridiculous. He wants to get all the seed into the ground. That's the idea. Paul is saying, give, give generously. And what's the motivation? If you give generously, you will reap generously. You will reap bountifully. And certainly this is financial. Uh, it is more than that, as we'll see. And we'll also see the motive. But just this first motivation is give generously because you will reap a bountiful harvest. Give generously because you will reap a bountiful harvest. I'll unpack that more in case you're thinking that this sounds a lot like prosperity gospel. Does this mean, you know, if I, give, if I empty my bank account, I'm going to be rich? Uh, we will come to that just now. The third motivation for giving, your cheerful giving results in approval from God. Your cheerful giving results in approval from God. Look at verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Very, very important verses. Uh, one of the reasons when we, when we do meet here, one of the reasons why we don't, uh, if, you've, if you've ever visited, and I encourage you to visit when we start meeting again, uh, but you will notice that unlike most other churches, uh, we don't take a bag around, we don't take a plate around, and one of the reasons is we don't want people to give under compulsion. Uh, I've been in churches like that, uh, especially when it's an open plate and the person next to you pulls out a wad of 200 rand notes, suddenly you think, oh, I better give something. Uh, it's not from the heart, it's not anything like that, it's just under compulsion. You feel like, okay, they did something, I better do it as well. Uh, we, we don't want that. We don't want people to give under compulsion. We don't want people to give reluctantly. Um, and if you're not a Christian, we also don't want anything from you. We don't want your money if you're not a Christian. Uh, we have something for you. We want to give you something, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, that your sins can be forgiven, that you can be right with God, that you can know eternal life. Uh, we're not asking unbelievers and those who visit for something we have something for you. Eugene Peterson, uh, his interpretation of this, this verse, is, I think, is very powerful. He says, remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. I think that's a really good interpretation. See, Paul says from the heart, uh, what, what you've, you've decided to give, you've examined your finances. Uh, nowhere does the Bible talk, us, talk to us about being reckless or, or, or silly to go and take a loan you know, for 100,000 rand just so you can, can give to go into to more debt so you can give to the church because you're hoping, well, then I'll get more back and so I'll be, I'll be fine. Uh, the Bible doesn't teach that. Uh, it teaches careful thinking to see what are my costs, what are my expenses, what do I have to cover just to live, not, not the lifestyle that you want to be accustomed to, but what are your needs? 
Take plenty of time. Think it over. Otherwise, you're going to be manipulated. As Eugene Peterson says, it will protect you against sob stories. You know that uh, when I was probably a teenager, there was a terrible famine in Ethiopia. And uh, for, for years, I think it went on for decades, and uh, sort of every evening there would be uh, adverts for raising funds from UNICEF, whoever it was, and they would show these images of children starving to death. Uh, and that's what people do. It is easy to guilt people into giving. I think missionaries are often guilty of this. When they go back home, they show all these pictures of suffering to guilt people into giving. Paul doesn't do that. You know, Paul doesn't, have you noticed, he doesn't go into detail about the sufferings of the Jerusalem church. Uh, I'm sure he could have, in a powerful way, he could have gone into, you know, you know how much they're suffering, uh, this is what happened, and this happened, and this happened. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't want us to be guilted into giving, and it's the same today. And yet, from many pulpits, people are guilted into into giving. Sob stories. Or arm twisting. Threatened or manipulated into giving. And that's what the prosperity... Uh, I won't use the word pastors. Speakers uh, use. They threaten people. You won't be healthy. You'll be sick. You'll be poor if you don't give. Threaten people. Twist their arms. Paul uses none of that. He wants it to come from the heart. That a person is persuaded. They, they, they see these principles that motivate them. I don't want to bring embarrassment. I want to, I want to know a, a, a rich, abundant harvest. I want to give from the heart. I want to give joyfully. And what's the motivation here? Because God loves a cheerful giver. It's, it's quite, quite something. But the word for cheerful here is, is the root in the Greek is the word from which we get the word hilarious, a hilarious giver. Isn't that a, a powerful picture? Have you ever given hilariously, just full of joy? And as I said last week, when you meet truly generous people, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, they, they, they will invite you to their home. They're not, they're not stingy. They come, come, come inside, come have something to drink, come have something to eat. They'll they, they've planned for it though. They've, they've worked out, we, can, we cut back here. We don't need this lifestyle. We can cut back here so we can be generous here, that our doors can be open, that we can help others, that when needs arise, we can give. And they, they're hilarious in that sense. They're full of joy. They're cheerful. Uh, Deuteronomy 15.10 says, Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Give generously to the poor. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Throughout Scripture, there are these promises and these, these proverbs of blessing as a person gives generously. Now, what does it mean? Uh, God loves a cheerful giver. It, bring, it means God, you receive approval from God. Uh, God's smile is upon you. He blesses you. Now, if you're one of God's stingy children, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. God loves all his children. Uh, just as any faithful parent, godly parent, will love all their children. But when your children are not living as they should, when your children are stingy and nasty to one another, you still love them, but it doesn't bring your smile. It brings your, your frown. And so he has a motivation Paul gives. Give generously because God loves a cheerful giver. Don't you want to bring pleasure to God? Don't you want to know God's smile upon your life? Throughout Scripture, to me, that's one of the most uh, powerful images, all the way from the uh, ironic blessing that God's smile, God's, the light of His face would be upon His people. It's a, it's a wonderful thing when a spouse or a parent just just looks at you with that smile of, I appreciate you, I love you, what you're doing is amazing, I'm just proud of you. How much more with God's smile? Paul is saying, give generously because give from the heart. 
Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. His smile. But why is it? Because you're imitating him. Our God is a, is a cheerful giver, isn't he? He gives. Gives abundantly. Uh, when we were packing the food yesterday, and uh, all these boxes and boxes and boxes, and then you realize, you know, it's not even feeding that many people for, sit, for, for a very long period of time. And then you just, you just think how many, I don't know, 8 billion people on the planet. And I remember one pastor said, you know, we marvel at God feeding the Israelites in the, in the wilderness after they'd come out of Egypt and God provided for them every day. But you know that God provides food for 8 billion people every single day? It's incredible. He is a cheerful giver and he gives to the unjust as well. And so when you, you and I give generously... His smile, his favor is upon, is upon us because we're acting like him. We're imitating him. The fourth motivation, God is able to supply your needs and more so that you can be even more generous. Let me say it again. God is able to supply your needs and more so that you can be even more generous. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I wonder if you noticed the repetition of all there. There's actually another all in the, in the Greek, uh, where it says every good work. It's all good work. So it's all grace, all sufficiency, all things, all times, all good work. God is able, Paul says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you'll be able to do all of these things. Uh, one of the reasons we're often not generous is because we think we won't have enough for ourselves. That's why we don't live generously. We thought, no, I have to, I have to just take care of myself first and there is a right principle there but often it's we, we, we worry too much we, we, we're not willing to take any risks for the kingdom of God or else we think you know well yeah when, when I'm rich then I will start giving more no see this promise here this promise here is God is able to provide all that you need so that you can continue to abound in every good work Probably none of us believe this as we should. How many of you believe this? You believe that if you give generously, as we saw earlier, if you, if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. And what does that bountifully mean? God will continue to provide for your needs and give you more. Why? So that you can live at a new standard of living or so that you can uh, do all that your hearts ever desired to do. No, so that you can now have more to be even more generous with. That's the idea here. Paul is, is saying God is able to make you abound in generosity. So if your motivation is, no, I'm going to give, because then I'm going to get a lot back. Uh, you've missed it. Paul is saying, give. God will give you a lot back so that you can Provide for all your needs, and now you can be even more generous again. You see, it's a virtuous circle. Keep on being more and more generous. I love that quote of D.L. Moody. I've said it quite a few times from this pulpit, where he said, God will allow a lot of money to pass through your hands if you don't let too much of it stick. But we are conduits. And so this is the principle here, to step out, to trust God. To give generously. He's made a commitment to provide for your needs, not our wants. Now, God is very kind. Uh, we are able to enjoy uh, good things in life. And so he blesses us with those things. But really the commitment is to provide for our needs so that we can do good to others. David Garland, the commentator, says this. The more we give, the more we will be given by God to share with others. We may not have all the money that we want, 
but we will have all the money we need to be abundant in our giving to others. Paul buttresses his argument now by uh, quoting from Psalm 112 in verse 9, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Psalm 112, I've been reading it quite a bit this week, it's a fantastic psalm, go and read it. Uh, the righteous man, the generous man, this, this man is a generous man, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, and what is the fruit, what is the result, his righteousness endures for forever. There is a blessing. You will never lose out when it comes to generosity. You, if, you, if you are faithful and follow the principles in Scripture and uh, live wisely and carefully and are generous and kind to the poor, you will never lose out. This man's righteousness endures forever. And so the results are, as I said, are not, are, are, uh, there is a financial component, but that's not all. This man's righteousness, his right standing, his right behavior endures forever. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You see, that's the principle there. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And so the problem with the, the prosperity message is that it just limits us to finance and to greed. That's the motivation. Why should I be generous? Because I'm going to get a whole lot back. Uh, Paul is not saying that. He's saying be generous. One of the motivations is be generous because God will provide your needs and give you more money so you can be even more generous. So the motivation is, I want to be even more generous. And an increase in the harvest of righteousness. Growing in holiness. You see, for the true child of God, there can be nothing more desirable than righteousness. So what a motivation to, be, to have a harvest of righteousness. Don't you want to be more like Jesus? If your preoccupation is, no, I just want to have that house down the road. That's my goal in life. I just want to have that car. I just want to have that, that position, that status. And again, none of those things are evil in and of themselves. But if that's what your desire is, if that's what you want, more than righteousness, more than to, to go to bed at night with your conscience clear, to speak kindly to people, to, to be generous, to be full of love and grace and joy. Not full of vindictiveness and ugliness and deceit and idolatry and perversion. It is interesting how much uh, of Scripture has to say about money. I forget the exact figures. Uh, Randy Alcorn did it, but I think there's more verses on money, directly, indirectly, parables, all of these things, than there are on grace and mercy and prayer combined in the Bible. Over and over again, the way we deal with money is linked to our holiness. So you can't say, isn't it what James said? We, we saw it and, and John also says it, a similar thing. You can't say, I love this person. I love God, I love this person, but it doesn't affect your pocket. You can't say, no, I go to church, I do all of these things, I, I sing the songs, I pray the prayers, I do everything, I read my Bible, but you steal from people, you don't pay the wages properly. In fact, over and over again in Scripture, that's when you see God at his maddest, at his angriest, when people do that. So I think, what an incentive, what a motivation. You want to grow in righteousness, then grow in generosity.
Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Generous in every way. Remember the Macedonians? Paul says they gave themselves, not even as we expected, but they gave themselves. Not just they gave some money, they gave themselves generous in every way. Maybe you say, I don't have, I don't have much to give. It's not about the amount, it's proportionality, it's about from the heart, but we can all give ourselves in whatever ways that we're able to give, God has blessed us with abilities and time and resources to give ourselves. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. Proverbs 11 says this, One person gives freely yet gains more. Another withholds what is right only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. We move now to our fifth motivation for giving. Your giving produces thanksgiving to God. So uh, over and over again, it's, it's our relationship to God and the effects from God and upon God that are used as a, a, a motivation to be generous. And here it is, your giving produces thanksgiving to, to God. The end of verse 11 will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. You see, Paul, Paul wants to see the church as being generous because that's a sign that God is at work in them. But he also wants the churches to be generous to the Jerusalem church because he wants unity in the church. As I mentioned last week, this is a massive issue. We're not really aware of it now. Uh, it's not as obvious to us, but when you read the scriptures and you understand the tension between Jews and Gentiles, how Jews had viewed the Gentiles, how Gentiles had viewed the Jews. There was tremendous animosity. So Paul says this generosity will bring, bring thanksgiving, it will bring unity. He longs for unity. This is a means to give generously, to show that we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Different cultures, different backgrounds, different sins, and yet... Unity in Christ. And as they give, it will result in thanksgiving. Isn't this amazing? The, the Jerusalem church will give thanks to God. As they receive money, they can buy food. I was thinking, just with what, what uh, by God's grace, we've been able to do. Do you know that that food, as it goes and is distributed by pastors to the families that need it, as they sit down and they say grace, they will give thanks to God for that food. They will give thanks to God. Your giving, your generosity will result in men and women and children giving thanks to God. I live off your generosity. Lelo and I, uh, because of accountability as we looked at last week, uh, there are several of us, and we bank with FNB, that get SMSs uh, whenever money is spent. So it's a, a protection. Uh, but also whenever a deposit is made. And I tell you, every time I see an SMS from FNB, uh, whether it has a person's name or not, money paid into the account, you know what I do? I give thanks to God. Because I know, without that, to go sell cars or something, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but your giving, your generosity results in men and women giving thanks to God. Don't you want that? It's a theme in Paul's writing. We saw it in 2 Corinthians 4. His desire, as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Give. Give generously. Give so that we can plant churches. People are saved through churches that are planted. They will give thanks to God. Give to the diaconal account. The widows who are helped. They will give thanks to God. Don't you want people to give thanks to God? Imagine if the whole of South Africa gave thanks to God. 
the new heaven and the new earth, everyone will be giving thanks to God. A thankful people. It's the most beautiful thing. Thankful children. (laughs) A beautiful thing. A thankful congregation. A beautiful thing. A thankful people. So here's a motivation. Your giving will result in thanksgiving to God. Number six, your giving brings glory to God. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Paul is saying the the Jewish church, the church in Jerusalem, will glorify God. Don't you want people to glorify God? To give Him the glory and the honor that, that He deserves? We don't do it enough. But one way we can increase it is by being generous. That more people will give God glory. And what does it flow from? What is the fountainhead? What is the, the root of their generosity? See that? They will glorify God because of your submission flowing from what? Your confession of the gospel of Christ. See, all of our giving, all of our generosity must flow from the gospel. Submission flowing from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. As we saw last week, we should give because... God, though he was rich, Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor. That is the gospel. God comes down to us. So Christianity is not us reaching up to God. It's not the Tower of Babel. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us reach up into the heavens. That's man's religion. It's about self. It's about my reputation. It's about my name. And it's about me doing something. The gospel is... Abraham, the next chapter after the Tower of Babel, God condescends, God comes down to Abraham and says, I will make your name great. It's God coming down to us, saving us, taking us out of that miry clay, finding us broken and dead. The scripture even uses that. We're dead, dead in our trespasses and sins. It's God coming to us, being kind to us, Enriching us, saving us, giving us eternal life so that generosity must flow from from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the seventh and final motivation for giving. Uh, your giving will result in others praying for you. Your giving will result in others praying for you. Verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. I don't know about you, but I couldn't have too many people praying for me. Uh, don't you want more people praying for you? Bringing you before the Lord, bringing heritage before the Lord? Our prayers are powerful, aren't they? James tells us that. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Praying for one another bringing one another to, to, to the throne of grace, bringing churches to the throne of grace. When you give generously, people will be praying for you, whether they know your name or not, giving thanks and also praying that the Lord will continue to be with you and keep you. Don't you want people to be praying for you? We're not strong enough on our own. That's why we need the body of Christ. We need to be praying for one another as it is, but to have even more praying for us, more churches planted, Uh, More people helped. More brothers and sisters helped. More people praying for us. And then in closing, look at verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is is just uh, Paul at his best. Uh, We've seen over and over again Whatever doctrine, whatever teaching, Paul always brings it to Jesus Christ. And here he does it again. He can't help himself. Uh, All this talk of giving, all this talk of generosity, 
all this talk of grace, he can't help himself. It just he thinks of Jesus Christ. That's where his mind goes. That's how he's trained his mind over years and years. He he understands how incredible his salvation was. He understands that it's all about Christ. All the promises find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So that whether he's talking about something as as transcendent and beautiful as marriage, he brings it to Christ. And the church, or whether he's talking about something as mundane as his travel plans, and whether he commits to doing it or not, he brings it to Jesus Christ. And here he comes to Jesus Christ. And he says, this is how he refers to Christ, God's inexpressible gift or indescribable gift. The Bible is 66 books written by over 40 different authors. And every one of them points us to Jesus Christ all over the place. It's showing us different facets, different aspects of Christ. And with all that, the whole Bible, all these books, all these different aspects of Christ, Paul still has to say he's indescribable. You can't describe Jesus Christ. One of the, one of the things I love about the, the greatest uh, literature is that when I read it, and their descriptions of, of human beings, I understand it. I say, I know somebody like that. They understand human beings. They can portray humanity. They can explain a person so that you say, yes, I understand how that person thinks. I understand how they feel. In fact, that's, that's me. Or that's an aspect of me. Or I know someone like that. And yet when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, no one can reduce him. Even a whole Bible can't begin to to explain the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has to to just say he's indescribable. You can't reduce him. You can't reduce him to just a man. He's fully God. You can't reduce him just to a prophet or just to a priest or just to a king. He's a prophet, a priest, and a king. When we come to Jesus Christ, language begins to break down. I love the English language. It it has over a million words and is is so nuanced and and able to to describe so many different things in in sophisticated ways. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, it falls apart. Vocabulary fails us. Even Paul can only say indescribable. And so uh, you know that experience. There's certain things where Maybe it's a sunset or some experience in your life that you just can't explain it properly. Even if you have a tremendous command of language and uh, are incredibly eloquent, you're still not able to fully explain the sensation or the feeling or the emotion or what, what you experienced. And so it is when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for his word that keeps us uh, from just a just a subjectivism, just some type of feeling, but gives us truth that he is, he is God, he is holy, he is righteousness, righteous. But I also have to say, I think if you know Christ, you can't fully explain him. You, 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 you and I, if you're a Christian, you, will spend, you and I will spend eternity trying to plumb the depths of the character of Jesus Christ. Eternity. We'll never, we'll never actually plumb the depths. We'll never reach the end and say, okay, now I understand God. Now I understand Christ. Forever and ever, discovering new and more glorious attributes and things about God, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so covering all of this, I would argue, Covering our generosity, covering our giving is Jesus Christ. You must know him. You must be in him. You must be loving him. You must be fighting to know him more. You must be longing for him as the deer pants for the water. It will change your heart and so that you will give cheerfully.
not reluctantly, not under compulsion, that as a church we will not humiliate the name of Christ. As individuals we will not embarrass the name of Christ. We'll be a generous people, looking out for one another, looking out for the name of Christ, looking out for our brothers and sisters. May God help us to know Christ. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Father, once again, we, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the word incarnate, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the indescribable gift. Thank you that you gave him to us, Father. You so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son. Father, we do pray that uh, that everyone watching or listening would come to know you, Lord Jesus. Would come to see that you are indescribable. You're not just some great teacher, some great prophet, some guru some person who influenced world history, a martyr, a great person, but they would know that you are God, the God-man. That after reading the Bible hundreds or thousands of times, knowing all there is that the Bible has to say, still we would have to say that you are indescribable, Lord Jesus. You are beyond our comprehension. And now we look forward to, to being with you for eternity and discovering new insights forever and ever, being blown away by your beauty and your majesty and your love. But while we're here, Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would help us to be a generous people, a people who show Christ show something of Christ to this world, to our neighbors, to our community, to our country. Thank you for the wonderful generosity of your, your people over the years and, and recently. But Lord, help us to be even more generous. That we would be cheerful givers, that we would... Uh, know your, your, your smile upon our lives, that we would reap a harvest of righteousness, a truly holy people. And so we ask all these things in your wonderful name. Amen.